You're listening to audio from The House, located in Kelowna, B.C. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit us at thehouseonline.ca. dedicated the past five weeks to this series, Why Trust Jesus? And using this question in a, in a world full of pain, chaos, and evil, why trust Jesus? Uh, we planned the series long before we knew about the humble Broncos and the Toronto attack and all these other events and things that have been going on in our world. Uh, we didn't know that they would be happening, but it sure is a reminder that uh, pain and chaos and evil can surface at any moment in our world and in our lives. And our hope in this series is that you would remember and you'd be reminded and encouraged that uh, Jesus is always there. He's always present with his love and peace. And um, today we're concluding the series with this theme that we can trust Jesus because he's the God of breakthroughs. He's the miracle-working God, the same miracle-working God that was in biblical stories, things that we read, the same miracle-working God that's shown up and been present in, in, in stories in church history is still very much alive, very much active, and very much present in our lives today. And so this is an encouragement to say we can trust Jesus because he's, he's active, he's working, he's providing breakthroughs, he's providing miracles every day in our life. In John 14, 12, 14, this is an encouraging but a little bit of a challenging passage of Scripture. Jesus says this, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. It says, yes, ask anything and I will do it. Ask anything in my name and I will do it. 
Uh, Jesus invites us to have faith. Jesus invites us to come to him with our needs, to uh, have, have belief and, uh, and posture ourselves to have faith in him that he will provide breakthroughs in our lives. And Jesus still is very active in doing this in our life today. Now, we use the term miracle and breakthroughs, like we talk about miracles, fairly loosely. Um, I got in and out of Costco in half an hour on Friday afternoon, and it's a miracle, right? Um, the Toronto Maple Leafs made it to the playoffs two years in a row. It's a miracle. So we talk about miracles and things, and we kind of talk about them loosely. And um, my wife recently began a new career with WestJet. She had to spend a few weeks in training down in Vancouver. So off she went to her hotel room with a king bed and daily maid service and restaurants and, uh, you know, no beds to make, no dirty dishes to clean, no groceries to buy or lunches to make. And uh, so my wife is off living the good life and, uh, and I'm stuck at home and uh, trying to keep up with my, my work schedule and at the same time looking after my, my three beautiful, precious, lovely feisty, difficult, moody daughters, okay? And, um, and so lunches and groceries and school forms and pickups and drop-offs and laundry and dishes and homework and moods. And I was like, ah. Um, I was so desperate for Ange to get back home. Uh, it's a miracle that we made it through okay and that we're still talking. At least there's like two out of the three kids that we're talking right now with, and I'm working on the third. And it's like, um, we, we look at some of these things, where we're like, oh, it's a miracle. It's a miracle I made it. It's a miracle we got through it. It's, and, um, and I wonder sometimes if uh, we, we use those, those terms and we use that idea so loosely that we forget that Jesus still is the miracle-working God. Like, real deal, real awesome, incredible, can't explain it any other way, miracles. He shows up. He does things. And um, this is the Jesus that we have faith in. And, you know, we are to be people of the Spirit. We're to be people of faith. We're to be people who believe in Jesus as the miracle-working God. And so the Lord has been leading me to posture the church, to experience more breakthroughs, to, to at least... Um, be stirred in my heart to, to, to lead the church to a place where, you know, God, let's, let's be more open. Let's be more ready. Let's, be, um, let's, let's bring our, our needs and our lives and, and lay them before you and, and, uh, and posture ourselves for, uh, for more of that. And so I have this question, how do I posture myself for spiritual breakthroughs and miracles? And I really think that it's about posture. It's really about how we kind of come before Jesus and how we sit before Jesus. It has a great impact on some of the things that we experience in him. One of them is a posture of relationship. The more connected you are to Jesus in the very little things, in the everyday moments of your life, the easier it is to connect with him for the big breakthroughs. And we can grow our faith in Jesus by taking the little steps and the, the small things, coming close to him and the small things, and then it strengthens and builds our relationship with him. You, you might see things happening in your life and think they're more about coincidence or just randomness or chance or luck or maybe even karma if that's your flow. Or maybe you look at all this stuff and you think, oh, you know, 
that's just the way it worked out and it's good that happened. And, but what, what if we posture ourselves in such a way that we believe that Jesus is active and present in every moment, in every area of our life? And we begin to position our life and posture our life with Jesus with that in mind. Because this strengthens our relationship and our connection to him. It actually invites Jesus and welcomes him in to all of the small little areas of our life. Now, this is a spiritual principle in Luke 16.10. Jesus says it this way. He says, if you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. If you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. So there's a spiritual principle that says if we acknowledge Jesus, if we are faithful to him and including him and welcoming him and building our life in him on all the small little areas, the spiritual principle is that God is he will entrust more to us. We will experience more uh, responsibility, more blessing, more breakthrough. And um, that's a spiritual principle that we look at from Jesus. And so the question is, what's your posture towards God in the little seemingly insignificant details in your life. Uh, about a week before Angela, I told you my, my wife Angela got a job with WestJet recently, so about a week before she was to leave for her first week away in training, she found out that in the, within the application and interview and hiring process and things that you exchange your information and, and, um, and somehow um, in the system, once she was hired on, they had uh, got her email address wrong, and they missed one uh, middle initial. And um, about a week before she's to go, she realized that they had been corresponding with her for like a month. And they're giving all the information to, you got to memorize all kinds of stuff and learn things for Transport Canada and airport codes and all this kind of stuff that it takes to work for, for an airline. And... Um, and she didn't get any of it. And now she's like cramming and she's beginning to panic. And uh, she's got a week out. And all the other people who are in her hiring group, they've all been studying and learning this stuff. And um, there's a test. And then if you don't pass, you don't make it on. And, you know, so she's got all this stuff going on. And then she finds out that there is um, advanced levels of security, which makes sense when you work at an airport. So you have to get your badges made and security clearance. And they do a fairly extensive background that um, looks at, including all the things like your name changes and your identity and who you've been your whole life. And so when my wife, uh, when Angela was a little child, her mom got remarried and uh, married a great guy, uh, still her dad today, and, um, and he legally adopted Ange when she was a child, and so she took his last name. And uh, so she had that name, and then, she, and then she's got her married name and maiden name and all this kind of stuff. And so she had to get, go through all this stuff and find out that there's no real paperwork in the family uh, and all the, the, the history of the, the adoption. And so she has to have this. And now she's panicking because she has to get this figured out. And if she doesn't make it, she's not going to be able to participate in her group project and, and, the, and, the, and get on her, her clearance for flying and, uh, and get her training done. So she's going to miss out on her job. And so um, she finds out that it's in Flin Flon, Manitoba, where the government records are. Anybody from Flin Flon, Manitoba? I heard some, yeah, there's a cheer, okay. So Flin Flon, Manitoba, she, she, she has to like uh, call the government records of the vital statistics department or something in Flin Flon, Manitoba, you know, get the, get the info, get it sent off, faxed off or emailed or whatever, and, and we're all good. So she does a call. Not that easy. Anybody who's tried to do government bureaucracy knows there are lots of hoops and lots of things. So she has to fill out forms. 
and get copies of her ID and send them to, to them so they know who she is, so they're not releasing information to... And then, so she starts all this process and she's told, look, it's like, it's gonna take probably at least two weeks because there's other people in the queue and we don't even know where these records are. We're gonna have to find them. They're in the archives and there's spiders and it's in the basement and books and, you know, and like they gotta go digging around for this stuff. And so Angie's like, what am I gonna do? She's like, she's so discouraged. She's adding up the time it's gonna take. The lady says, and if we do find it, then you have to, we can't just email it to you. We have to send you the, the information in registered mail. So she's adding up. Okay, I gotta send stuff there. They gotta find it. And then they got to send it out. She's like, it's never going to happen. I'm, I'm, I've missed it. And so she's discouraged. She gets a couple of her friends to pray, and she prays, and she thinks, well, i got nothing else. I'm going to go for it. So she fills out the stuff, sends it in. A couple days later, she gets a phone call. The lady says, okay, I don't know who you are. She goes, I don't know how this happened, but I just talked to you like a couple of days ago, and your file is on my desk. And uh, she says, I've never seen that happen before. Like, that never happens. And she says, um, if, if you want, you've got to arrange for a courier. It doesn't have to be mail. As long as it's a, a, a courier person or registered and, and they sign for it and everything, then so if you can get somebody to come and pick this up, then we'll get it sent off to you. And so she texts me and I'm at work. I'm having a busy day praying and reading coffee and you know doing my, doing my pastor thing. I get this text from my wife. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to do it. And, um, and I like put my phone down and I was, you know, went back to praying and reading my Bible and eat, drinking coffee and pastor stuff. And then, and then I feel this like, no, you gotta, you gotta do this like right away. And so I've just learned that when, you know, I just have to be faithful to those things. Like when it's, you know, call it when God speaks to you or it's the witness of your spirit or it's the Holy Spirit promptings or however you want to give that language to me, I've just learned I need to just lean into that. So I said, okay, I'm going to do it. So I stopped right there, got on the internet, looked around. Only two couriers go into Flin Flon for overnight delivery. One's FedEx, one's Purolator. Ugh, what am I supposed to do? I look at it, and they're both like, okay, overnight delivery, but estimated delivery is three days. So then I find out that it's because Flin Flon is so remote that by the time they send the truck out, and there's a truck in the area, and they pick it up, and then they get it back and get it to the airport, and you know, it's overnight from the airport, but it doesn't, it's not like right there right away. So now we're like, we're out of time. Like it's not going to happen. We got this miracle, the file's there, and now we can't even get it out to Kelowna in time. She's going to miss it. So I'm like, okay, well, what do I do, Lord? And I'm like, okay, Purolator. I thought well, I should go with Purolator. So I hit send with Purolator, get the thing. They email me the shipping label. I email Ange. Ange emails a lady in Manitoba. Two minutes later, Ange gets a phone call from the lady in Manitoba at the desk. She says, okay, seriously, who are you? <laughs> and she says, um, your email popped up with the shipping label at the same time the bell at the desk rang and the Purolator guy is there dropping off a package. She goes, I, I printed it off, I grabbed it, I gave it to him. She goes, I'm calling to tell you that your envelope is in the back of the truck on the way to the airplane and you're gonna have it in two days. And so and she goes, this never happens. She goes, I worked here for 12 years. She goes, this never happens. So I'm going to buy a lottery ticket on my lunch break. And she says, you know what else? If you would have picked FedEx, you would have, it would have been another three days because that guy already came first thing this morning. He's already been here. And so we find out that when you invite Jesus into the small details and the small little things that he's present and he's at work. Now, our cynicism in our culture and in our, in our lives, sometimes we can kind of like just 
brush that off and think, well, that's just chance and that's random and that's just whatever. But you know what? I would much rather posture myself in a place where I believe that Jesus is active and he's present and he cares in every detail of my life and I'm going to bring it before him. And you know what that does? That posture brings me closer to Jesus and strengthens my relationship so I'm near him. And when I'm faithful to God in the small things and acknowledging him in the small things, there's a spiritual principle that says that he will entrust more to me. And that's how I want to posture my life, and that's, where I want to, that's how I want to live my life. And so I think there's a posture when it comes to experiencing breakthroughs and miracles and seeing God do great, amazing things. There's a posture of just relationship and being close to Jesus and welcoming him into those small little things. Um, there's another posture. It's a posture of surrender. To trust God when things are totally beyond your control when there's absolutely nothing you can do. And some of you are in those situations right now. We've all been in them before where there's a challenge or there's something coming up. It involves somebody else. It involves a decision or a choice or something beyond your control, something beyond what you can do. It might be a health issue. There's lots of things that we face that are beyond our ability to force the decision and to fix things and to make them happen. And it can be incredibly disheartening. You know what happens is when we are in that place, we tend to try to hold on tighter and force things and, and, and we grip and, we, and anxiety and all, that, all the levels, all the stress levels, all that stuff kind of rises up. But you know, there's another way that makes it so much easier and it's this position or this posture of surrender. Let me tell you about Katie, who's a UBCO student with us. She was here for um, four or five years, did all of her education or degree. She ended up with um, like an upper level master's with nutrition and some kinesiology and things like that. And um, she graduated from UBC and I was visiting with her. It was at the end of the year, end of the school year. She was a little bit bummed out. She was a volunteer in her coffee shop. She said, uh, yeah, I, I, she, she, her dream, everything in her whole life was to become a naturopathic doctor which was another like four years of school. Like some people just don't learn, right? And like seven years of school and then four years of school and oh. Um, but she wanted to do it. It was everything. It was her whole life. She put everything into it. She says, there's only like six schools in North America that I can get my next level of education and certification. And I've heard back, I applied at all of them and I've heard back from five of them and I was denied at all of them. There's only one that I haven't heard back from, and it's the hardest one to get into, and they're already past the timeline in their application process where they've made their decision. She's so incredibly discouraged. She's like, everything about my life brought me to this place, and I, I don't know what to do. And so we spent some time talking, and I prayed with her, and I was so proud of her because in, in our conversation, our prayer, she just says, you know what? I, Jesus, I can't do it. I can't force this to happen. I can't make this happen. It's beyond my control. And she just came to this place where she said, Jesus, I just give it over to you. I leave it at your feet. It's yours. I can't do it. And you know how freeing that is to not feel like it's your thing to have to carry around and force through and fix, but you actually just give it to Jesus? It's so freeing. And it's very, it's, it's detrimental. It's harmful to us when we try to force things that we can't, we're not in control of. And she just surrendered it over to Jesus. Well, a couple of days later, after we prayed, Sunday night, a couple of, couple of days later, midweek, she decides that she should just get closer so she knows one way or another 
and then she can just move on with her life. She's okay if it doesn't work out. She surrendered to Jesus. He'll figure it out. So she calls the school to uh, find out about her application. She get, talks to somebody, some receptionist somewhere, gets put on hold. Somebody comes on, says, can I help you? She says, you know, she gets put on hold, transferred, put on hold, transferred, put on hold, transferred. She's on hold, she's waiting. Finally, a real person answers and says, um, yeah, can I help you? She says, hi, my name's uh, Katie, and I'm a, uh, you know, an applicant. Uh, my name's Katie Jones, I'm an applicant, and I'm just trying to find out where, uh, where my application process is. And there's total silence on the other end. Katie says, uh, hello, are you, are you still there? Long silence. And the person responds, who did you say you are? She says again her name. Well, it seems that Katie's call had been mistakenly redirected to the head dean's office of the school, who never takes calls just from the public, and um, is also the one who's in charge of the final word on all the admissions. And it turns out that they had a last-minute cancellation, and he had blocked himself off in his office for the afternoon to go through a stack of applicants to find one more person to fill the spot. And he didn't want to be bothered, but he gets a phone call, and he picks up the phone, and the moment he picks up the phone, and she says, hi, this is Katie Jones, he looks down at the stack, and he's reading the applicant, and it's Katie's application. And he says, okay, I don't know who you are, but I think we should have a talk. And they sit, uh, sit down on the phone, and, and she proceeds to have a one-hour phone interview with the head dean right there, which finishes with an invitation for her to go to school in the fall. And she's like, how did that, what just happened? And you, you can't, you know, can you look at that and say, ah, it was chance, it was, well, I guess you probably could. But I would much rather position my life in a place where I say, Jesus, I gave it over to you, and look what you did. Look how you can't put that stuff together. Look how you, you created that and put that and lined everything up and made it happen. And you know, Katie is uh, just finishing, she just finished her third year at the school in Vancouver. She's got another year left. And it is an incredible, amazing story. It's a story of somebody who learned something about Jesus, learned that when you surrender and you give something over to him, it lets Jesus do his thing. It lets Jesus be amazing. It lets Jesus be God. And it's about a posture of just giving it over to him. Another is a posture of faith. Matthew 21, 22 says this, you can pray for anything. And if you have faith, you will receive it. Very similar to that opening scripture we looked at where Jesus says, ask for anything in my name and I will, I will do it. I will give it to you. And you know, this is where faith is challenging. Faith is a mystery to me. I'm sure faith is a mystery to you because without a doubt, we see in the scripture that faith has a direct implication on how God works. There are places where in Jesus, he couldn't perform miracles because the people didn't believe. There are, are places where Jesus invites us to have faith and he teaches that faith makes a difference, that we are to have a level of faith. We are to have faith in things. And Jesus does stuff. But at the same time, I see that scripture and I believe that. You can pray for anything and if you have faith, you're going to receive it. But there's things I've prayed for and I didn't receive. 
And that makes it hard, and there's a tension, and I think all of us have this tension in our life where we believe in this Jesus who's the miracle-working God, but it doesn't always work out that way. It doesn't seem to be that there's, you know, faith is not a formula, and it's not a guarantee. There's an invitation to faith, to find Jesus and to, and to see him work, but it, it doesn't seem to be this magic formula that is always going to work as a guarantee, and that leaves us with a tension. Romans 8.23 says this, it says, we wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children. There are promises and there are things that we have that Jesus has given us. And they are living in the kingdom of God. They're living in who Jesus is. And at the same time, we live in a fallen world. And there's sin and there's brokenness. And, and the fallen world and the kingdom of God, and these things are coexisting and they're crashing together. And we're not fully there. We're not fully living in that. We're still kind of holding on to some of this. And they're back and forth. And, and it just doesn't always work out exactly the way we hope or the way we want. And as they coexist, there's this idea that a posture of faith is a declaration of trusting in Jesus no matter what. I'm going to show you um, a video in just a second of Ben and Kelsey, uh, this is a young couple that we've prayed for in our church community. You might be a part of the services, some of the things that we, when we prayed for them and we text bombed them and uh, just kind of lifted them up and they've been a part of our story, part of our community. And um, this is, a, this is a, an update on their story. We were married about a year and then I started to notice that something wasn't quite right with my body. And then finally, Ben encouraged me to go to the doctor after a few months. The diagnosis was chronic myeloid leukemia. My doctor thought we should start the referral process to Vancouver for a bone marrow transplant. The first thing I noticed was that they really didn't want her to have a bone marrow transplant. So I was curious why, because I liked the idea that she could be fully cured, but then they went through the risks associated with the bone marrow transplant. We moved to Vancouver, I checked into the hospital, and the second day I was there, chemo started, and chemo was five days. The whole time she was in the hospital, she was connected to this machine, which they jokingly called their dance partners because it had wheels and you could wheel it around. And the machine had a whole bunch of cords that were going into uh, a central venous catheter that went directly into her bloodstream. I was in the hospital for six weeks in total. I finally got to go out. It was just a day pass for a couple hours, and I got to go out for Thanksgiving dinner. And I had done the cooking for the turkey dinner. It was my first turkey, and it was really good. God really showed up through people. It's easy in our culture to, to just be focused on what you're doing yourself and living your own life. But in times like this, you realize how important your relationships and community are. And it's valuable to be in a position where you need people to show up for you, and you get to see them show up. It was almost overwhelming how much support we had. Visitors almost every day. People came down from Kelowna. People we didn't even know from the congregation came down to see us. Uh, it was a Sunday morning and I was sitting with my mom and then all of a sudden my phone vibrated a few times. And I had these random phone numbers texting me. Then I realized it was a text bomb and I just assumed Chad had announced it to the worship team. And then a few minutes later, dozens of messages came in and it was just overwhelming. I still had moments of fear, but then I had people that I could reach out to, and they would pray. 
I, I wouldn't allow myself to imagine her dying or, or really uh, go into those areas. My whole prayer was, God, I trust you. I, I just trust you no matter what. I trust you. Even if it doesn't work, I still trust you. For those two years, I had a lot of fear of dying. I kind of thought that I was going to. But then in the hospital, I felt peace, and I was able to say, I trust you, Jesus, when I was having a hard time. I remember Jordan Unrau and, and what he had gone through and what the Unraus had gone through and the faith that they'd had and that he had passed away. I feel a little bit of guilt in a way, or I don't want to say, oh, God blessed us and, and we're so great because of that. I think we almost want to receive it humbly and say, thank you but recognize that sometimes it doesn't work out that way, but still trust God in spite of that. It was incredible being home for Christmas. It was just my goal. The entire time in the hospital, I was thinking about being home with our families and seeing our nephews open up gifts and be with everyone we love. Were you were there in March? Yeah. And um, the doctor said for sure that she's cancer free. For me, for me, I was just talking to somebody today and uh, I said my wife had leukemia. So maybe it was even today just saying my wife had leukemia, that it really hit me. It's a great story. Ben and Kelsey were with us in our first service, and uh, she is cancer-free. They met with the doctors in March, and it's a great miracle. And so faith is messy. Sometimes God shows up in the way you hope, the way you want, Sometimes there's breakthroughs. Sometimes there are things to celebrate. I love those stories. That's a great story. That's something that we celebrate as a community. It's something that we remember. It's something that builds our faith. But we know that sometimes things don't always go the way we hope. And we don't really know why. And I wish I could definitively give you the answers to those things. And you know, any any faith community that believes in Jesus as a miracle-working God and that approaches God with big asks and big faith to show up in big ways, there will be some disappointments. There will be some wins and some celebrations and there will be some disappointments. But our challenge is to keep trusting in Jesus and keep giving him the opportunity to work even when things don't go the way we want. And I believe that Jesus answers prayers. I see him work in so many of your lives. There are so many stories where Jesus shows up and works and does amazing things. And I don't know about you, but I would rather have faith and invite Jesus to do something then not come to him at all. In Mark 9.24, there's a story of the father who asks Jesus to deliver his son, to heal his son. And um, Jesus says, if you believe, it can be done. And he says, Jesus, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And I'm so proud of uh, Ben and Kelsey's posture over the last year to say, Jesus, we need you. Jesus, I need you. Would you heal me? Here I am. I give it over to you. I trust in you no matter what. And you know, 
it's an interesting thing with faith because it can subtly kind of creep in. And sometimes I think as leaders and pastors and church leaders, we're so guilty of this, of manipulating and pressuring people because we so want to believe that if you just believe and God's going to work and there's going to be a miracle and just let's have faith and let's, and we pressure and put on and, and, um, and somehow it adds to the guilt and it adds to the weight and it adds to the sense of failure and I'm not good enough yet again. And could it be, could it be that having enough faith is really the ability to just bring that thing to Jesus and leave it to him? And it's not about you. It's not about how high and strong and mighty and where the threshold of your faith for that miracle is. And if you just get it and whip, you know, could it be that having enough faith for Jesus to work a miracle in your life is just to have enough faith to bring it to Jesus and leave it at his feet? Say, I surrender it. I give it to you. A posture of Jesus, it's about you. It's not about me. And my, my hope and my, my heart's stirring is to posture ourselves and to posture our church to a place to experience more breakthroughs and, and an opportunity for those things. It's something that God's been working and leading me in and we've been working in the background and uh, we've been working to get our prayer team ministry running and we have some beautiful amazing prayer people who are part of our prayer team and we're going to start we're going to start having more opportunities for you to come and receive prayer and have somebody lay their hands on you and agree with you and pray with you and there may be times where we don't get everything that we hope for, everything we ask for. But there will be some great, amazing stories. Jesus will show up. When you posture yourself before him and say, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you this problem. I can't do it on my own. When you come to him and leave it and surrender to him, Jesus can show up. There's an invitation for him to work. And so... I've had this conviction that we, we should be the kind of church community that if your world falls apart, that you know that if you come here on a Sunday morning, somebody will pray with you. Somebody will sit with you. Somebody will hug you. Somebody will cry with you. That we would be a safe place that you can be real and we can just come and say, Jesus, we need you. That we should be that kind of a church community. And so as we move forward over the next weeks and months, and you know, we're not going to force it, we're not going to hype it, but we're going to posture ourselves to say, Jesus, you are the miracle working God and we put our hope and our faith and our trust in you. And we're going to see Jesus work. And we're going to see some great things happen. And part of it takes us as a community to just come, just bring that stuff before him, to lay it at his feet and to give it over to him. And you can be guaranteed 
that we will be a safe community and there will not be any manipulation, but we need to lean in to Jesus. And so we're going to have um, a, a moment where we're just going to we're going to worship together in a moment, and um, we're going to invite you to come and receive prayer. If you need a breakthrough and you need a miracle and you're needing Jesus to show up in your life in some way to provide help in some area, that someone would just be able to pray with you and agree with you for that. And we will not be ashamed of that and we will make room in our church for that. And that we will be a community that will have great, amazing stories of God breaking through. There will be some stories of some heartache where some things didn't work out. But we'll still be together. We'll be together in that. And so God's texting me to tell me to wrap up the service. And um, we're going to do it this way. Would you, would you stand this morning? The team is going to lead us in a few minutes of worship. We're going to have our prayer team come. They're going to be at the front. They're going to have badges on so you know that they're part of our prayer ministry team. And um, they're just going to be here across the front somewhere. And we are going to just take a couple of minutes together as a community and give you the opportunity to posture yourself before Jesus and say, Jesus, I need your help in this area. You need a miracle. You need a breakthrough. It doesn't matter what it is. Jesus is in the business of miracles, and we're going to agree, and we're going to pray with you today. And so we're going to get you to come. As we're worshiping, just come and find a spot and just um, find one of our prayer team people. And uh, let's just take a couple of minutes and seek the Lord together. Thanks for listening to Audio from the House. For more information or resources, visit us at thehouseonline.ca.